Hello, listeners. This is producer John. Open Pike Night is going to be at Trek Long Island 2024. From May 31st to June 2nd, Cameron and myself, producer John, will be in the Big Apple living long and prospering. We'll be hosting a panel. We'll be giving out stickers. We will have our microphones. Be sure to follow Open Pike on social media and subscribe to openpike.substack.com because we also will be giving away some Trek Long Island weekend passes. Trek Long Island is May 31st to June 2nd at the Hyatt Regency in Hopog, New York. This is Michael Benyer, and you're listening to Open Pike Night. Sounds like something good to do with your ears. Sounds like. Get it? <laughs> it's a charades reference. <laughs> Is this thing on? Hello, hello. Welcome to Open Pike Night, the Strange New Worlds podcast where your personal logs are the prime directive. I'm your host, John T. Bolds, here tonight with an amazing guest on stage and callers waiting in the wings to flip the hourglass and bring awareness of some delicious Vulcan treats. Joining me tonight are my co-hosts. First up is our resident reboot fan and hors d'oeuvre enthusiast, Jesse Bailey. I cannot wait to try some tasty canapes. <laughs> and the man who also knows to always load up on the good snacks early at a party because you never know what's going to happen. Host of Green Shirt and Newbie Strack through TNG, Cameron. What sort of snack? A sacred snack? <laughs> <laughs> and our guest tonight is a talent who is part of both the Marvel Universe and the Star Trek Universe. He knows his union details and he keeps growing as an actor. From his role in The Expanse as a husband sidelined by his powerful and controlling wife, to Star Trek as a husband who... Um, as a guy who just wants to chill with a starship captain and play some party games. <laughs> Welcome, Michael Benier, here to share some sacred words with us on the Open Pike Night stage. Wow, 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 wow. Wowie, wow, wow, as uh, Borat says. Wow, wow, wee, wow. That's what I said when I saw your IMDb list, sir. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Thank you. And I just want to say that was amazing. I'm, I don't know if the audience knows I can see these guys. And I saw uh, John do the kind of Tonight Show intro, like, you know, at his microphone live. I didn't just hear it pre-taped. I saw him do it. <laughs> it was amazing. I felt this is like live television. This is great. Or radio. Oh, thank or you podcast. very much. It's a live podcast. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. And uh, we just want to say, start off, congratulations on uh, the episode Charades being named one of the top 10 episodes of television for 2024 by Rolling Stone magazine. That's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. I was but a small footnote in it. And I do want to congratulate, um, you know, the producers, especially the writers of the episode, uh, Henry Alonzo Myers and um, Catherine Lynn. Because mm. that the, really the, the strength of the episode was in the writing and the creating of the situation. And, you know, all the comedy and the pathos came from their writing. So I want to give a shout out to them right off the bat. You're not wrong, sir. Everyone involved in this episode deserves some part of, of it being 
one of the best episodes of TV, according to Rolling Stones. But right. in no small part, sir, you and of course your lovely on-screen wife, Alora. Uh, I I rewatched the episode recently, and it is surprising you two are not in the episode very much at all. You show up quite late in in. 34 minutes in. Yeah. Alora told us it was only like two days of filming. <laughs> right. But my memory of it was that you guys had a huge part. Like your presence so outweighs the screen time. Like I had invented entire scenes of Tapring right. <laughs> and Alora walking through the halls, having a conversation that did not right. exist. Right. Uh, so well, maybe maybe they will. Or they do in an alternate timeline. <laughs> there you so, go. I certainly hope so. It's really interesting. I'd auditioned for uh, the show a couple of times. So I'm sure people tell you that it's all these kind of code names, mm -hmm. right? Mm. So I'm pretty sure I auditioned for the Discovery show as well as Picard. I auditioned for uh, in LA, but I auditioned a couple of times and I, I didn't get those parts. And then this role came and I auditioned Everything is during COVID, by the way, right? So this is mm -hmm. like two or three years ago. So there's no going into rooms anymore. Everything is, is at home and everything is self-taped and they give you notes. And um, the casting director, I don't know if people are giving shout outs to casting directors, but the casting director of um, Strange New Worlds in Canada is a woman named Robin Cook, mm -hmm. okay. who cast me on The Expanse. Hmm. Okay. So... Although I've never met her because I'm a West Coast person <laughs> and she knew of me, I guess, through agents and, and work. And I was doing these tapes over the years for her. And a few years earlier, I had done The Expanse. And when I researched it afterwards, I think that Henry Alonzo Myers is friendly with Naren Shankar, who mm. was the showrunner of uh, The Expanse. And if you guys know The Expanse, I, I replaced an actor, Brian George, fantastic mm -hmm. actor, who had originated the role of Arjun in The Expanse. And he was unavailable because he'd gotten a TV series playing a father on a sitcom mm -hmm. um, in, in L.A. So he wasn't going to be able to kind of do double duty because of the flights and everything. So they called me to audition, and I'd auditioned a few times earlier for The Expanse. And, and when that, you know, came through, I, I was, I, I called my agent afterwards and I said, someone's already playing this part. And, <laughs> and she's like, oh, I don't know. They want to see you. And I was like, okay. And then when I figured out he got a show, I said, say yes immediately. Because as soon mm -hmm. as that other show is canceled, things are invariably canceled. Mm -hmm. He will come back to this. So um, <laughs> it didn't work out that way. And I got to do that season with Shoray Agdashlu. And uh, the fantastic writers on that show, which I believe brought me to the attention of the of the showrunners of um, of Star Trek: uh, Strange New Worlds. So no. I, it all kind of is one big universe, as it will, mm -hmm. right? So that everybody's uh, you know watching what everybody else is doing. And I don't think it hurt that I did play kind of the um, beta male to a strong woman <laughs> on on uh, on the Expanse. Yeah. And they left you holding the bag for Marco dropping those uh, asteroids on you, man. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a great way to get a job where you're not really worried that there's going to be bad blood because, oh, he's just succeeding additionally. So happy yeah. to step in for him. Oh, yeah. You're saying regarding Brian. Yeah. You know, yeah. I haven't seen him since then. I met him years ago, uh, you know, at some auditions. And I was such a fan of his from from Seinfeld and, and, and many things. 
And uh, I was just so honored that they would even put me in the same kind of category as him. So uh, I, I really hope to meet him again soon. So, Do you remember what the, uh, the scene was that you auditioned yes. with for Strange New Worlds? It was the meeting and the eating of the, of the food. And, <laughs> and as you can tell, it was like, do you, do you fake eating? Do you like do all these things to what you do? And interesting, because we don't do it in person, they wanted us to give several variations, mm. which a lot of times mm. they don't want in casting mm -hmm. in the self tape. They say, give us two or three takes of how you would do it differently. And I, I did see that it was a comedic episode, but I was like, how funny do I make this? Right. And when we did end up filming it, uh, you know, that discussion was had with, with Jordan Canning, who, who directed it. And um, I remember there was a discussion is how demonstrative am I? Cause I'm, a, I'm a Vulcan. And she's like, oh, I see what you're saying, but you know, we can try a couple different ways. So we we did it different ways where I was less demonstrative and what we, what we ended up with in the end. So uh, <laughs> wow. it worked. I mean, I think they took different versions of it. If you watch it, I can see myself. They did stuff where I didn't really, you know, show too much emotion. Others where I was more emotional, but uh, it was interesting. When did you realize it was Star Trek? Alora says, she picked, Alora says she picked up on just the uh, the reads, the asides that she auditioned oh, with Star Trek. Oh, how did I know? I, I had a feeling because I had auditioned before mm. and they had the same code name. So, uh, <laughs> and then I'll tell you guys this since we're talking Star Trek. A few years earlier, I'd auditioned for a movie. I believe it was called Star Trek Beyond. Oh. Uh, okay. And uh, basically I was cast in a role. It was It was a much different um procedure you had to go in person and and they wouldn't again they wouldn't say what the project was hmm. and when it came down to it they said yes we want him for this but he has to commit now and then not do you know i was had to commit to a day like one day like four months in advance and it just didn't work out uh because of the um the scheduling i was like i can't commit to that but uh and also i was afraid that if i did that it would preclude me from doing other roles in the future in the Star mm. Trek universe, mm. because I had mm. had that experience doing, I did uh, an episode of the flash where I played a character and then they created this kind of flash universe. And they're like, well, you were this guy in the flash. You can't be on arrow or <laughs> da, 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 da. And I'm like, Aww. nobody knows this, but now <laughs> they do know this because of the internet. It's like the comic book guy on, on, on you know, on The Simpsons. <laughs> on Actually, the Simpsons, episode yeah. four, um, you know, so uh, it was, uh, I, I just, I, I gambled and I said, I'm going to hold out for something better. And I think it came out with this. So oh, uh, it worked out. I'm but, so uh, grateful that that ended up that way. Wow. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what the character, I have a feeling, but I don't, we don't have to get into it, but it was, a, it was an alien character. So, um, so when it came down to this, um, they, you know, they booked you a couple of weeks in advance and this was at the height of COVID still, this was 2022 around mm. April. And I was in Vancouver and they shoot the show in, in Toronto. So they wanted to fly me out and they had me go and do, uh, the wardrobe fitting at this, you know, space in this in gas town of Vancouver, this funky space. And this guy did more measurements on me than I've ever had in my life. It was like, it was like the measurements for like 12 suits. He did every, <laughs> you know, every direction from my nape, my nape of my neck to my shoulder, all this and that. It took about an hour. 
And hmm. they needed those measurements so they could begin on the costumes, which were fantastic, as you know. So then they fly me out and I'm there a week before we're going to film because they need to do the last minute adjustments on the outfit and also to get me there. Okay. Now I get to the studio in, outside of Toronto and offhand, because either way, I'm having to do COVID tests, getting on the flight, getting off the flight every day. And I get to the studio and I offhand kind of jokingly say to a woman on the set, I said, I got a, I got a lot of COVID tests on this. And she says, yeah, we're averaging five positive tests a day. <laughs> wow, and I wow. said, oh my goodness. And then I got really afraid to kind of get infected because if you were infected, you couldn't do the show, right? So I basically, you know, sequestered myself in my hotel room and didn't see anybody <laughs> for a week. And the day before we were going to film, it was, it was, it was a Sunday into the Monday, um, I got a call that someone had tested positive and I was like, okay, what happens now? Do I stay in this hotel for another week? They're like, we're going to fly you back to Vancouver <laughs> for a week. So I go back again to Vancouver for a week and now I'm hyper vigilant. I don't go out for dinner with anybody. I barely see my girlfriend. I, I don't want to go to any like family dinners or anything. And I fly back a week later and we do film, uh, the show and it came out great. And, uh, and I wanted to say this as well. Uh, the episode dropped or or was released <laughs> on, I believe it was July 17th. Is that correct? If you guys know? That sounds and accurate. It is. Yeah. The reason I know this is it was the day that the Screen Actors Guild went on strike. Mm. Oh. So that at noon at that point, I was effectively on strike. So I could not start doing promotion or interviews. And I, I want to apologize to the several people that contacted <laughs> me from different publications saying, will you do our podcast or interview? And I was like, I can't do this right now. And I didn't want to get into the whole thing. So I didn't respond. And, and here I am today, the strike is over and it was, it was resolved. And uh, it, it, some keen, you know, listeners or viewers will see that I ended up running into Ethan Peck and um, uh, Jack Quaid at the Paramount strike on, 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 on Star Trek. Day. Mm, mm -hmm. And we took a photo and we, we walked and talked a bit, but uh, it was just the weird timing. It, literally I could post about it in the morning and at noon Pacific <laughs> time, I could no longer talk about doing the show. Wow. So that's the date of this, the release of this episode. Mm. Yeah. We had uh, Chris Fisher, one of the other directors right. for strange new worlds lined up and it was like, I think it was the day prior to our interview with him that the writer's strike started. So, I mean, we're just grateful to have well, an yes. opportunity to finally <laughs> help you guys talk about your work. I mean, right. the off season this year is going to be long. So right. we appreciate you taking some time to <laughs> sit down you. with us. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah. Did they ever like test you with the potential actresses for your on-screen wife or to Prill, or did they just cast you separately and hope you got along? Yes, it was a long process. We we were scheduled. We were shot. We went to Los Angeles and did a screen test at Paramount. No, no, no. They didn't do any of that. Um, we, you know, they. She's got. She's fantastic, Alora. She's got a huge, you know, career. She was on a series at the time, and she is the go-to person for those kind of mothers of of, of people of that mm -hmm. type. Uh, and I'm just lucky enough to have been cast as her husband. She's fantastic. And by the way, Gia, fantastic, beautiful, amazing hilarious you know i just rewatched it and i was like it is so 
hard as an actor, as an actress, an actor to be funny as a, as a Vulcan. Like you can't do mm-hmm. sitcom mm-hmm. reads. You have to do these kind of logical reads, you know? And I was watching, uh, you know, Gia playing to bring my daughter to bring. I, I named her, <laughs> you know, so good. So good at that, that kind of off kilter comedy. I loved it. Yeah. So when did you get interested in, in acting? What was it? Uh, when did I get interested in <laughs> acting? Um, as a kid, you know, I, um, I love TV. I, I'm an only child. <laughs> and uh, I, I have this story that I've told, and I don't know if it's true anymore, but I've been telling it so long it's true. <laughs> I loved, by the way, I watched the original Star Trek it repeats as a kid, and it was around the time of Star Wars being popular. So I was obsessed with anything with the aliens and all that. And of course, Spock was my favorite. And um, I also watched Gilligan's Island. And mm. and I remember saying to my dad, do they film that on an island every week? <laughs> and he's like, no, Michael, they film that on a set. That's, those are actors. That's their, And I was like, that is the greatest job in the world that you could do that. And uh, and I remember learning as a very young age that um, William Shatner was Canadian and and that, ah. um, you know, that, um, you know, Leonard Nimoy uh, was also, you know, uh, an actor who wasn't really an alien and all that. And I, it was a real favorite show of mine as a kid because they were, I don't know how to say it. It was like, it was something you could do. Like, like Shatner was Canadian, right? I was like, Oh, we can do that. And I also told this story uh, recently to a friend, which is my other favorite show at the time was, was happy days. And Mm -hmm. my mother bought me the unauthorized biography of Henry Winkler. Mm -hmm. And in it, there was a photo of him as at a private school, you know, as a kid. And I realized he was just like me. And years later, I ended up meeting Henry Winkler at an audition for a sitcom. And I ended up doing a sitcom pilot with Henry Winkler. Wow. So it, and he was as a child, the inspiration that you can do this. It's possible to do this. So um, yeah, at a very young age, I wanted to do it. And I started professionally at about 16, 17 in high school. Cause in Vancouver at the time, they had started filming a lot of um, American TV shows. And the first show was a show called um, 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. And they had done the pilot in my high school. If you guys remember what the premise of the show was, uh, was about undercover cops in high school. Only because of the movie. Do I know that? But yes. You do, only because of the movie. You're so much younger. I love that. <laughs> so the premise of the show was undercover cops in high school. We're all extras from our you know 10th, 11th grade. And we see this guy walking down the hall with a leather jacket and like a five o'clock shadow. And we're like, this guy does not look like he's in high school. And um, that actor was the original actor to portray um, Tom Hansen, which Johnny Depp replaced him a few Uh months later because they realized that that guy didn't look exactly young enough. And I was there, (laughs) I think, pretty much on Johnny Depp's first day when they did the reshoots with him and I met him in the hallway in front of my principal's office and I started talking to him and I, he was wearing the same jacket as the other guy. And I said, are you an actor? And he goes, well, <laughs> he goes, I'm more of a musician. Uh, I go, what's your name? He goes, Johnny, I got a band. I go, what's your band called? He says the rock city angels. And I'm like, all right, I'll look out for it. So uh, a couple of weeks later, I got my first part on the show and I got into the transport van and he got in the front and, he did a double take and he recognized me. He says, hey, good for you. You got a part on the show. So that was an auspicious start to this business. And 
and uh, I don't know what happened to him, but uh, I, I never did uh, hear his band. Yeah, I don't think the band took off. That's too bad. No, no. Yeah, not so Poor much. guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, great. And then you did you go to like uh, acting school after that or, or how did you proceed? No, I, um, you guys are asking me the tough question. I, I stayed in high school. I was doing uh, acting while in school. I, I did my first voiceover cartoon at the time, which was Barbie and Ken, which was Barbie and the Rockers. <laughs> And wow. I was the voice of Ken, and for some reason, it got in the Canadian news cycle that an all-American uh, was voiced by an all-Canadian. <laughs> and I ended up uh, doing a, an interview much like this on uh, Midday, which is like Good Morning America in Canada. And after that, I got known for doing kind of cartoons in Canada. Hmm. So I was continuing to do that. I did G.I. Joe right out of high school. I yeah. did episode of Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, and then I was still acting in high school. And then out of high school, I was like, I don't want to go to college, even though you were supposed to do that. I want, and I started, and me and my two best friends at the time, I got us a job writing for a national television show hmm. in Canada called Pilot One, and it was kind of a Saturday Night Live meets, I don't know, uh, I don't know, Zoom, if you, if you remember Zoom, kind of a ah. youth-oriented stuff, and uh, okay. we did that for six months, and then, and then it got canceled because of a strike. And I was like, this is uh, out of my control. I should go back to school. So I went back to university, as we say in Canada, and I studied creative writing while I was still acting. And I, I, did, I did movies and voiceovers and TV shows while in, in, in university in Canada. And I really had always wanted to kind of get to the next market in my mind, which was Los Angeles. And a year or two out of college, I ended up uh, in LA um, on a kind of a it was like a pitch trip. I was going to go help this couple pitch a sitcom. And when I got there, they said, Hey, they just postponed the meeting to comedy central for six weeks. Do you still want to do this practice pitch with us tonight with our agent? I said, sure. It's Hollywood. It could happen. Who knows? You know what? Who knows what could happen? Mm -hmm. So at that dinner that night, they introduced me to their agent and they introduced me that I was an actor from Canada and I did a lot of voiceover. And this woman looked at me for about two minutes and she said, uh, do you do a Middle Eastern accent? And I said, yes. And she says, there's a famous uh, cartoon where they need um, uh, someone who is Middle Eastern to do it. Anyway, long and short, I looked into that and the show was Johnny Quest. Mm -hmm. And I said, ah. he's not Middle Eastern. He is Indian. And, and they said, same difference. And I said, welcome to Hollywood. And, and then I said, they said, do you think you can do it? And I said, look, I said, I can do an Indian accent, but I know the show, the kid's seven years old. I'm good, but I'm not that good. They go, he's 17 now. I go, that I could do. So uh, that uh, set into motion a couple of things. I was doing a show called Reboot at the time. And uh, I asked the casting and the director of that show, uh, Andrea Romano, if she could refer me to an agent in Los Angeles. And they did, which was ICM at the time. And they got me the audition and it got me into Los Angeles like I'd always wanted. Nice. And uh, that brought me to Hollywood in 94, I guess. Yeah, January okay. and 95 I started. And then I was starting all over again, uh, <laughs> trying to do this in, in, in L.A., and it was ups and downs, and I went to grad school while I continued to act, and then I got out of that. And then I, 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 I basically, at around 30 years old, was like, I've not been able to get to the level I wanted to get to, and I decided to go to law school. 
So I, I applied to law school in Canada. I went back to Canada. And one week into law school, uh, September of 2001, a world oh, event geez. happened. And uh, I realized that um, in a couple of months or a year, there'd be a lot of movies that would need a guy that looked like me. So <laughs> you, uh, you had that I, actual thought I had then? that I had no, that realization. Very- foresightful of you yeah Yeah. i mean it was sad because i would always go to things like well you could be this you could be that but um and that's what happened so i i i decided to finish my degree and in my last year of uh, law school i uh i went back to la for spring break and i i got a sitcom pilot with henry winkler and uh and that was it so then the next year i did one with heather graham that got picked up and that was canceled after one night. So you're, you're, you're hearing kind of an up and down story of, oh. of how it goes. You get it. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't happen. Oh, it's great. It doesn't yeah. happen. So, um, that is how I am. And here we are, you know, talking about uh, the latest and the greatest, which was strange yeah. new worlds. Well, I do want to go back and, and touch sure, on some of those back. things you said, but let's, let's jump to a listener's question. Cause it does kind of tie in with what you were talking about a bit. Sure. Here we go. Here is Jen. Hey, Open Pike. This is Jen. Thanks for having me. For these interviews, I like to look up and rewatch uh, previous work in addition to you know what we see wow. on, on Trek. I didn't realize just how much of your work I'd already seen, mostly the animation like Reboot and Exo Squad um, from way back in the day. Right. That, that took me back. <laughs> wow. I see that you have a lot of live action and animation voiceover work. What are some difficulties or challenges and going between the two is there much of a difference in your approach when playing a character that's live action versus the voiceover and what do you like most about voice work versus live action and vice versa i know that was a lot of questions so anywho, uh, i hope to see you again in future work and y'all have a good whatever <laughs> jen Thank you very much for a well thought out question and for being a longtime fan, as you say. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I'll tell you the 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 thing I love most about voiceover is that I can play anything. Okay, so so like I was telling you, so often in, in film and TV, they'd be like, "Well, you don't look like you could be related to this character. You do look like you you know you you're you don't look like we imagined this and that." Whereas in voiceover, you just go in and do it. And the other thing is, is that on some of the shows, I get to do more than one character. I mean, how often do you get to do that in film and TV, unless you're Mike Myers or, you know, Jim Carrey or somebody like, or Eddie Murphy. So I'm actually just starting a new animated series, which is a famous title. I can't tell you guys yet. Hmm. And I'm getting to play two characters in it. So, I mean, I'm like, I pinch myself sometimes that the kid in me is like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, so that's the best part about doing animation is that you can play anything and more than one character. Um, in film and TV, you gotta get there. You gotta get there early. You gotta, you gotta get your, your makeup, your ears put on in this case, you gotta, you know, you gotta shave, you gotta learn the lines. And, uh, and in voiceover, you get a lot more takes sometimes like the, the cartoon that I'm doing right now. They're like, can you just do that line again? We'll pick it up. We'll put it in. Whereas you can't really do that in film and TV. It's more disruptive. Like you, you got to do the whole scene again or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like she said, you do have a lot of, of credits. Do you know how many acting credits you have on IMDb? Well, I do know. I think it's like 160 <laughs> or something. But that is, 
not accurate. 164, according to IMDb, yeah. Oh, okay, 164. But I'm saying some are in there, some are not in there. Mm. There are some that are not even me, that someone else has attributed to me. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll take, it. take well, it. Well, well okay, let me know I'll take it. <laughs> if okay. I ask any questions about any sure, of those. I love but. that. Um, no, um, I, I always liken it to Canadian actors, it's a volume business. You know, really, which is you got to keep uh, you got to just keep working because, uh, you know, in the States, one job and you're set for life <laughs> in Canada. You got to keep doing it. So I'm between, you know, um, Canada and, and Los Angeles, and I'm constantly going back and forth to just keep trying to stay in the game, as it were. Mm-hmm. And um, I love voiceover because it's definitely carried me through of the times where I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. By the way, that's that's the kicker, which is. I had started law school and they called me and they said, hey, Reboot wants to redo the opening monologue of the show for this fourth season of it, which is kind of a Star Trek Final Frontier mm-hmm. monologue, if you know yeah. the, okay, of the show. And, and I said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm starting law school right now. And they said, don't worry about it. We can record you in downtown Winnipeg, which is where I was. <laughs> And that's the thing, which is I could still do my own thing while still doing voiceover. Like I didn't, it didn't disrupt my life that much. I mean, the other thing about voiceover, well, like you said, is you can play multiple characters in a show yes. like Robot Chicken, where you play both wow. Jesus and Ron Jeremy and Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> I don't know if any actor has such a breadth of yes. uh, characters. I played Leonard Nimoy at on that show. I think that's what your website said. Oh, wow. Even. Uh, then I did, I guess. I don't, even, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's a volume game, Cameron. That's right. It's a volume that's right. game. Right. Um, the, 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 the show with Robot Chicken is a great story, which is um, I was very good friends with Seth Green's girlfriend at the time. Okay. We were friends. And we were all hanging out. And uh, he decided to do this uh, kind of new online animation show it was called sweet jay presents and if you guys know the history he had done an appearance on conan o'brien as stop motion somebody saw it at sony and they said we think we should do a series about this and he decided he would do it and i recorded all the first season of different characters of sweet jay presents in this kind of garage in the hollywood hills nothing happened with that show a year or two later uh cartoon network says we want to do it and we'll buy it from them, but you need to re-record all of those things because Sony owns that. So Seth uh, okay. calls me up and says, Hey, we're redoing um uh you know, Sweet Jay. It's gonna be called Robot Chicken. And do you want to do it again? I can pay you this time. <laughs> and I said, Sure, sounds great. And he goes, The thing is, Michael, in the original version, uh, we did the spoof of um Enter the Dragon about Joey Fatone. It was called Enter the Fat One. Uh, you voiced uh, Joey Fatone, uh, Mr. Miyagi, and Yakuza number two. Uh, we've now got Joey Fatone and Pat Morita. So <laughs> wow. do you still want to do uh, Yakuza number two? And I'm like, yes, of course. <laughs> so a lot of the uh, the voices I did on the original show were were done later by uh, much more famous people than me. And um, as the show became more and more successful, uh, you can see as it increased in celebrity guest stars. So I think the first two or three seasons I did it. And if you have the DVD of the first season, that 
whole season of Sweet Jay is there, and I voice a lot more characters in the original thing. Oh, that's so, cool. cool. Nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's funny. I ran into Seth at an event maybe about a year ago, and I'm like, hey, man, I want to do more Robot Chicken. He's like, yeah, I'm not in charge of that anymore. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, Seth, if you're listening, I still want to do more. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes, famously, Seth Green, big <laughs> open pike night listeners, as yeah. far as we're yes. aware. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, going back to to Barbie then, I mean, did it feel like a big deal that you got Ken as one of your first voiceover yeah, it roles? it was a big I mean, deal in Canada. It was, a bi- it was funny. And uh, it was a big deal in Canada. And I think it was uh, basically a pilot. They did two specials mm-hmm. to do a series, and they ended up not doing the series. And, uh, you know, later did they do kind of the um, the home video movies that Mainframe, who, who created Reboot, did, which were the kind of the CGI ones, which mm-hmm. looked more like the real dolls. So um, it bas- basically was... Uh, a way of me starting voiceover and people pointing to me saying he can do the generic young hero, you know, non-discernible accent. (laughs) And then, and then I was like, I can do other things. They're like, no, you are Ken. You are GI Joe. You are Bob reboot. That was Kenuff. That was Kenuff. I was, that was Kenuff for you. And then when I ended up going to the States with, um, getting Haji after that, I couldn't get out of doing accents. They're like, no, you're Haji and you're going to do all the different accents. I'm like, hello, can I do both? But um, it uh, it's worked out now. There's kind of a steady balance. Well, I do have to ask about one of, I think your first film role, which is yes. Friday the 13th, part oh, eight, yes. Jason Takes yeah. Manhattan. Not the yes. best Friday the 13th installment, but not the worst. I, I quite like that one. <laughs> you got to work with Kane Hodder. I mean, what, what can you tell me about that? Well, you know, Kane and I did extensive uh, rehearsal <laughs> periods. Um, we really wanted to get to the the heart of our characters. Uh, no, I met him on the set. Um, I believe it was his first movie as Jason. Um, and I will tell you this. I've said it in another interview. It was really interesting because when we auditioned for the film, they did not tell us it was a Friday the 13th film. Mm. It oh. was called Ashes to Ashes. <laughs> And all mentions of Jason in the film were Ethan. And I still have that um, script. Mm. And I put up, during COVID, I went through all my stuff I had from storage. And I put up a couple of the screen caps of the, of the script from 1988, whatever. And, uh, and it was interesting because they had a fear that the fans of the, of the show were into the occult and would come and, you know, do things on the set. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Kane, I remember was um a stunt man that was then kind of given this stunt acting role and if you've seen the film my character is killed by having my head smashed into a pipe and mm-hmm. then a steam pipe and then I didn't do that thankfully it was another stunt guy and that guy kind of got a scar from that so I'm very thankful that oh. it didn't that I didn't do it and I still remember that we filmed it over a couple of nights and it was the night because I watched it in my trailer uh, that Rob Lowe sang with Snow White on the Academy Awards. That, wow. that was the night we filmed that scene. <laughs> and, uh, and the movie came out very quickly after that. I think they really rushed those into the theaters. It was uh-huh. March until a few months later. 
and uh, and I remember those are the days where everybody who I knew wanted to see the movie with me. So <laughs> okay. I had to end up going to the movie a few, I don't know, five or six times. <laughs> and and I didn't want to sit through it. It's a great film, two or three times, okay? That's right. But, you know, number five, you know, I walked out to get popcorn and come back at about an hour in when I when I reappear in the film. <laughs> so, um, yes, it's uh, it's interesting how the, the the longevity of those films, people still talk to me about it. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's a big franchise, and I've rewatched the scene, and your face is smashed into a pipe. I don't right. know if that would kill you, though. I think you're in the very small <sighs> club of people who have encountered Jason and survived. In fact, you know what? I want to see Gangbanger number two come back in a reboot. And you've got like, you know, you're in a reboot. Come oh. on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know I, think what? I think you're right. I think you're right. His name actually, I do have a name in the film, even though the credits say gang, it's Jojo. Cause the guy refers mm. to me as Jojo. Oh, and nice. I think you're right. I think it should be the wrath of Jojo and <laughs> Jojo versus Jason. I think here uh, for it. I'm there. Yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> five or six times in the theaters, man. Let's do it. <laughs> so another franchise you were a part of, Michael, of course, is the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Deadpool. Do you have any stories from okay. Deadpool? First of all, I would, I, as the comic book guy from The Sims, I would like to point out that it was not actually the Marvel Universe <laughs> when I did it. It was a 20th Century Fox <laughs> production of its own universe. Okay, so... Um, good at that. Yes. So they had shot the movie. And they came back to do reshoots. And the movie at the time in production was called, does anybody know? Mm. No. Wham. <laughs> because they had the George Michael song in the mm -hmm, movie. Mm -hmm. Yep. Ah. So this role comes up for this Serbian warlord. And I, I, I'm hearing about this and I tell my agent, I think I could do that. And she goes, all right, okay. And I get the script and I don't know who the scene is with. I'm imagining it is with Ryan Reynolds and I'm taping it and um, I'm envisioning him. And when I get to the set, it is not him. So when I get there, it is the actor, Ed Skrine, who plays Francis and he was fantastic. And that was one day of filming uh, in, in Vancouver. And I'll tell you what's interesting about, you know, this business, which is, I before I had agreed to do this, I booked another part on a show called Beauty and the Beast, which was a much bigger part, and it was filming in uh, Toronto, and it was going to conflict with this Deadpool. So I said to my agent, "I really would like to do both. I really want to do this Deadpool movie. I think it could do something. I think this movie is going to do something." Because they didn't know it wasn't a huge movie. I mean, it was a movie, but it wasn't going to be what it ended up becoming. She's like, okay. So they worked it out. So I filmed that morning and I flew that night on a red eye to Toronto and I filmed the next day wow, on this other geez. show, Video and the Beast. But uh, I, 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 I made it happen that I wanted to do it because it almost wasn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm glad that I did. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet Ryan Reynolds or? I met Ryan Reynolds when he was about, 12 years old <laughs> okay <laughs> uh at a recording session for a cartoon in vancouver and they said this kid has just come from um florida where he was in this disney soap opera or whatever 
And I was like, and I was like, this little pudgy kid. And then of course, <laughs> today he is the Deadpool and the and the Ryan Reynolds that we know. And I did not meet him on the movie, and uh, I'm sure I will one day on on another production, or maybe another Deadpool movie yeah, if my would, character comes back. He doesn't yeah. get killed. That's right. He yeah, is not be, killed. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I could always ask also, how is it working with uh, Michael Bay? Wow, you're getting some good questions. That movie uh, was Transformers. Two, Revenge of the Fallen. Revenge of the Fallen. So uh, interesting uh, trivia for you, which is I'd auditioned for the film and don't hear anything and get a last minute phone call. Are you available tomorrow? <laughs> I'm like, okay, can you do that? So they, and they email me, they like, and can you translate this into Arabic? And I'm like, okay, I'll do my best. And then they said, I said, who's playing the other guy? And they tell me, Kaz Anvar. And if you know The Expanse, Kaz Anvar played Alex Kamal. This is prior to doing mm. The Expanse. So I knew Kaz as an actor in LA. We were both oh, Canadian cool. guys here. So I say to him, uh, so I get, I said, uh, have him call me. So. Uh, Kaz calls me and he's like, hi. I go, so Kaz, uh, I've translated the stuff. I've got it translated. I'm going to email you the uh, Arabic translation and we'll do this. And he's like, okay, okay. He's being very kind of tentative with me. <laughs> and after a minute or two, he's like, is this Michael Bay? <laughs> right? And I go, no, this is Michael Benner. He's like, oh my God. <laughs> They said they want Michael wants you to call him. <laughs> so we get to the set and um we 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 kind of run over our lines and Michael Bay shows up and you know he's got a reputation of being, you know, an excitable guy. <laughs> so uh so we meet him on the set and he says, "I understand one of you guys pulled an all-nighter uh translating the stuff he go and i go yes sir he goes do you do you speak it and i'm like not fluently but i know my lines he goes okay and he grips me his phone he goes this is the this is the translator uh do it with him on the phone so i start doing it with the translator and uh the guy's like that's good that sounds good that's too formal change this change that and i'm doing this on a handwritten thing we go over we do the scene as written and Michael Bay says, okay, good, but I don't like this and this. And then he grabs Kaz's script and Kaz has printed up all of the alternates that I've given him, not the lines that we've learned. Mm. And then Michael Bay says, I don't like this. I don't like this. You take this, you take this. And then the three new lines that we have not practiced at all. Okay. <laughs> and I go, and I'm like, what are you doing to me? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Kaz. Why did you bring this? Right. So, so he goes, okay. So we do the scene. Kaz is on the phone. I'm on the phone and I say my line, da, da, da. And then I roll my chair over. I say something to him. I come back. I pick up one phone. I get another phone and I don't know what the hell I'm saying. And I'm reading them off of the script, which I've left on my desk. We're Egyptian Interpol. <laughs> and, and I'm looking down. So, Michael Bay comes over. He goes, that was great. That was great. He goes, but you, he goes, why are you looking down? I go, because I don't know what I'm saying. He goes, I don't give a shit. Look out, look out when you're saying it. I'm like, oh my God. So in between the scene, in the middle of the scene, 
I do the thing, I come down, I look at it to try to memorize this thing I'm going to say a second later, and I look out and I do it. And a couple of times I invert the Arabic and this and that. So anyway, we come and then they go, we're going to break for lunch. Okay, right? I'm like, okay. And then they come over and Michael Bay goes off to do something else. And then the guys come and they're going to do the close-up of me. And then they're kind of angling it. And I say, can you see this in my desk? And they go, yeah. I go, this is my script. I don't want you to see this. <laughs> right? And I go, okay, so if I move it over here, will you see it? They go, no. So then that close-up of me saying that line is me reading it off of a cue card. <laughs> Off, off camera. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, Bay wasn't there to oversee that. And we got through it and we made it into the final cut. And uh, and years later, Kaz, um, you know, returned the favor and uh, he got me, you know, referred to The Expanse. And I ended up playing uh, Arjun on The Expanse. Which helped yeah. me get so, Star Trek. Wow. So from Transformers Which to Star Trek. Which helped me get Star Trek. Exactly. Yeah. That's, That's so, so cool. <laughs> that is, yeah. And consummate professional right like man <laughs> you made it work you found right. a way to make it work right. under why, pressure that's why did they that's ask really you cool. to translate into arabic it's a 200 million dollar movie they don't have the money to, <laughs> yeah. to <laughs> they gotta save money where they can right, right. Yeah. no I, what happened was the the act the actors the actors that had been cast were not available ah, because ah. shia labeouf had broken his arm in mm. hand in a car accident the day before so they had to reschedule mm. and the two guys that they had originally cast were not available so they went to their second choices which was myself and, and kaz it's hollywood so you never know what will happen hollywood you never know what's going to happen so <laughs> yeah. we landed on our feet and uh and we're still here and those of you out there channeling your inner comic book guy yes there are two other star trek connections in revenge of the fallen of course rain wilson and the inimitable tony todd <laughs> wow. nice. johnny quest i believe you got to work with mark hamill on correct the first day what oh wow, wow. yeah so i uh it was a told you it was a big deal for me i'd moved to california for this job and I didn't know how long it would take to get to the studio, Hanna-Barbera, the pl same studio they did, you know, um, Scooby-Doo and the Flintstones, all this stuff. So I drive there and I'm there about 20 minutes early and I'm sitting in the casting office and I'm early. And the, ca the casting director, her name was Chris Zimmerman, said to her assistant, make sure Mark Hamill has all the sides. And I said, I beg your pardon? And she said... <laughs> Mark Hamill. I said, as in Star Wars. And she said, yeah. I said, oh my God. And she's like, what's wrong? I said, you don't understand. I'm, I was 24 years old. I said, I said, I'm 24 years old. I said, every day of my life from 1977 to 1982 was obsessed with Star Wars. I had the bedspreads. I had the curtains. I had the comic book, everything, the, the trading cards. And I said, and this guy is going to, she goes, yeah, he's going to be here today. You have a bigger part than him. She says, do you know who Robert Patrick is? <laughs> I said, wow. yeah. And she says, he's going to be here every week. I said, well, I said, in all fairness, I said, he was famous after I was a kid. So it's not that big of a deal. But, um, but yeah, but Mark Hamill was there the first day and I just couldn't believe it. And we were sitting in a rehearsal room reading through it and he was doodling on his script. And, and then there was a couple of minutes, like a minute walk to the studio. We did it. And on my drive home, I said to myself, you know, Michael, you fantasize as a kid what you'd say to this guy if you ever met him. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, Chris Farley, stupid, stupid, stupid. You should have <laughs> said this thing, you know. And if you ever see him again, you got to ask those questions. He's there the next day. 
Okay. So I say, I get up the courage and at the same time, you know, that walk between the rehearsal to the studio, I said, Hey, Mark, I said, as a kid, I heard this rumor that when you signed to do Star Wars, you got one piece of merchandise made, everything made in accordance with the film. Is that true? He said, yes, it is true. And I was like, wow. And he said, well, when we signed to do the movie, we thought there'd be a soundtrack and a book. We didn't think there'd be, you know, toothbrushes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I was like, wow, wow. And I said, so I heard that you got so much stuff that you put it into like, like an airplane hanger. He goes, well, not an airplane hanger, a storage space. Yes. He goes, I got so much stuff. I was like, wow, is that true? He's like, yeah, yeah. I go, so what did you do with it all? He says, well, I, I have kids. I, I had a, a daughter and I gave them the action figures and my daughter shaved Princess Leia's head too. <laughs> right so i was like wow and this was just before they were gonna do kind of the new movies in 96 hmm. so he says they're gonna do movie i said are you gonna be in it he goes i don't know we're talking, they're talking i don't know this and that and then i really gave him this extra credit thing to show what a fan i was i said if you were on an episode i said of amazing what was it steven spielberg's amazing stories is mm. that what it was called mm -hmm. yep i believe okay. so yep amazing stories and you played a guy who was a collector as a kid where this this kind of gnome tells him that one day he'll be rich he goes that's right and i said and at the you you you're a hoarder you keep all this stuff and at the end of the episode you're kind of a homeless guy living in the desert with this jalopy with all these things that you've 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 collected over your lifetime and then they bring them to auction at the and at the auction the little gnome kind of is the guy you know you know, setting bids on it and you become rich as an old man. And he goes, oh, that's right. I go, is that like a reference to like holding on to collector stuff and Star Wars and this and that? And he's like, I didn't think of that, but maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. So I think I may have overstepped my Star Wars fandom <laughs> in, that, in that place. But uh, yeah, that was basically a bucket list. And, uh, and the other one was, was, was uh, Fonzie bucket list yeah. and uh and there's one more which is to work with steven spielberg as an actor but um mm. you know still time for that that by yeah. the way star trek was on my list and i always wanted to be a vulcan Aye. because i always oh, i always had an affinity with leonard nimoy and um and his, his performances um i don't know if you guys remember in the 70s he also hosted a show called In Search Of. Do, mm. do you know this? Vaguely. I'm aware of it, yeah. So it was basically kind of an unexplained mysteries, and he would kind of come out and be the narrator and host of this this show, kind of, you know, weird phenomenon and all that. And I used to love watching that as well. And I have to tell you this. Um, when I got this, the call that I booked this job, I told my mother, and she's never reacted <laughs> like this ever in my life for anything I booked. And the only thing I know this is audio. It's the meme of Jonah Hill from, uh, uh, I think it's Wolf of wall street. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like kind of like slapping yeah. her, slapping her. And she just got so, so excited. And she, she says, I always said you're like a Vulcan. So, um, you're welcome mom. And thank you mom that I am like a Vulcan. <laughs> and, uh, so that was definitely a bucket list for me. Nice. That is, very cool. And I'll be honest, Michael, I could probably just spend the rest of our time talking to you about Reboot, but we're a Star Trek show, so we're not going to do that. But I do, I did notice, I mean, your whole career is like this tapestry of 
interwoven things that you were interested in and then things that fell in your lap and things that you worked for. I mean, Reboot, like you said, it has kind of a Star Trek intro. I know there's an episode with a character who carries a lightsaber and talks like William Shatner. Like, (laughs) I was a huge, huge Reboot fan, and I think it really helped bring computer animation into the mainstream for TV. You know, like, you can do this on a weekly budget. You can make a quality show. What was... What did it feel like to work on that show just kind of overall? And was there anything different about playing, you know, like a hero for a younger audience versus, you know, just to throw it out there, like gangbanger number two? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's interesting if, yeah, I've played a lot of uh, bad guys and villains on on camera. And I think that's because, you know, I explain it to my mom and my, my girlfriend, which is when it's cops and robbers show, you got to be the robber when you're the guest star. Do you follow what I'm saying? Either yeah. you're MacGyver or you're the guy that <laughs> MacGyver fights. Right. So, um, whereas in voiceover, you know, I was a young actor. I was in Vancouver at the right place, at the right time. And I really approached, um, Bob on reboot as a, a Spider-Man esque character in the sense that he was, thrust into this position of being a hero unprepared and kind of finding his way into it not exactly greatest american hero but almost almost that kind of comedic sense and it's funny they're they've they're just doing a documentary series about reboot and i just did the interview a few months ago and and we talked about this a lot and i especially the first couple of seasons of reboot i viewed it as a sitcom for me mm. that my, my, my reads were uh, Seinfeld junior, if it will. Right. If you were. Okay. <laughs> okay. So there was a, there was a, there was a diner like Seinfeld and Seinfeld was very big at the time. So I, I did it like that. And, and also it, you were a kid, I'm assuming watching the show um, it, that Bob was the big brother, the cool big brother to the audience watching. Yeah. And, and they were Enzo and, and there was the kind of the, the big sister or the mom character. Uh, in in dot so i i did i was aware of being um a good role model as it were as yeah. a as a, vo- as a voice and i think that came through and i think that was part of the appeal of the show and i've done a few conventions in canada and and got to meet the fans firsthand and i i heard a lot of that that you know that people watch it as a family and that they you know they had a crush on bob or they wanted to be like bob <laughs> And uh, and I think we did a good job in that sense so that I think it came through. Yeah, that's that's really cool to hear. I mean, that show, I you know, a lot of kids TV shows are I don't know. I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole them, but they're very simple. And I feel like Reboot was one of the first youth oriented shows that was pretty brainy. I mean, the, the concepts were, you know, high sci fi and. I, I credit it with getting me into Star Trek along with my dad because it was wow. like. Yeah, I love sci-fi. I, I watch reboot, and my dad's like, "I don't know what that is, but that character is definitely a Shatner pastiche." And I'm like, "Who is William Shatner?" That right? He sat me down, and we watched all the movies. So that is that is wonderful to hear, and I can't wait to watch that documentary. I didn't even know that was happening. Yeah, That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. Uh, you're you're American, you guys, right? You're all American. 
Yep. Yes, sir. Alaskan. Yeah. So, I, you know, there's a little bit of uh, okay. <laughs> Canadian adjacent. Don't steal yeah. Canadian valor. Don't steal you're, Canadian you're valor. They're a hybrid. But in Canada, they played Reboot three times a day on a, a, a channel called YTV, mm. which was youth television. And it played for five years, three times a day. So in Canada, there's a very large uh, fan base. And uh, in, in America, it's kind of, it was only on the US, I think couple of seasons on Saturday mornings. And then a couple of years later, it was on Cartoon Network. But in Canada, definitely a whole generation is really into reboot. So hmm. that's why the, the, the producers of this are, are, are two Canadian fans that have turned their fandom into a, actually a, a, a docuseries. Awesome. But um, it's great to hear that there are Americans who are also watching it and being affected as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a regular Saturday morning for me, too. So that's great. Yeah. Well, one more question about your career before Star Trek, and then we'll we'll jump back yeah. in. Uh, and you can answer no comment on this if, if you sure. if feel you need to. I understand. But I have to ask, you've worked with Uwe Boll. And oh. what was that experience like? Wow. On Postal. You, guys, you guys really did your research. And when I say <laughs> you did your research, you looked at the IMDb. No, that's right. And Wikipedia. <laughs> and Wikipedia. No, Uwe is a great guy. Uh, I got to tell you, I did not only... Uh, one movie where I had a big part in it called Postal. I did two other movies for Uva after that mm. because he just called me up and says, do you want to do this movie? You know? So um, I, I think that Postal is actually pretty funny. If you've seen, I you actually, seen I haven't seen Postal. I've okay, heard it's, okay. it is. Uh, a, yeah. I've heard it's a good time. Okay. So as you know, Uva had been, um, called the worst filmmaker in the world mm -hmm. at the time, the Ed Wood of, uh, of that time. <laughs> and that my favorite story about him was that someone registered uvabull.com. And then when you went to it, it says, please stop making movies. Okay. <sighs> so that, I mean, that is a major <laughs> yeah. burn, but yeah. he's got the last laugh. He's still, he's still working. That's true. He's a great guy, but he, he was so busy that when he was directing that movie, he was producing two other movies while we were filming so he was on his blackberry at the director's chair and he's like okay action like you know this kind of stuff so and if you see the movie there are full scenes there that there were like he's like just make it up and like we kind of like made up this whole sequence and then when i went to do the looping or the adr in the movie they're like well what did you say here and i said to the woman i said didn't someone write it down like like a continuity person and she's like, no. And I'm like trying to figure out what I, I remembered vaguely of what I had said. And I had to kind of figure out what I said in this improvised scene and then kind of loop it from, from you know, a wide shot. It was uh, quite something. But uh, I think Uva is, is uh, misunderstood. I think he is uh, maligned unnecessarily. And he gave a lot of people uh, a lot of work. And that movie, Postal, it's pretty funny. It, it's basically an R-rated mad, 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 mad world mm -hmm. is what it is. So um, thanks, Uva, if you're listening. <laughs> Another one of our big <laughs> listeners, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> All right. So we are going to jump straight into charades here because we are ostensibly a Strange New Worlds podcast. But, right. you know, we, we want to get to know the person, not just not just the role. So I think we're going to start this section off with a question from our friend David Jones, who was an extra in season two, episode eight, Under the Cloak of War. Is this recorded, John, or is this a written nope, only? Nope, this is just a write-in from him. All right. Uh, he says, uh, hi, Michael. Great work on charades, by the way. As someone who is in Strange New Worlds 2, 
What was your feeling like when they sat you down in the makeup chair and they put the Vulcan ears on you for the first time? And what was your experience like walking onto the set? Okay. Uh, first of all, I think I remember his work. He was very good as the cloaked figure. That was season one, episode eight. Is that uh, two? Sorry, episode two. Oh, no, yeah. I'm mistaken. Yep. That was another guy. That was another yeah, yeah. guy. Okay. Um, no, I, I kid. Um, I, by the way, I did extra work when I was younger. There is no shame in that. You got to get in the game somehow. Um, I want to uh, caveat this by reminding everybody listening that this was at the height of uh, COVID protocols. Okay, so that we would be, you know, isolated. You could not interact with people. You had to eat your lunch by yourself in your trailer, like, you know, you were some kid with leprosy or something like that, right? <laughs> you could not interact with people. So um, the people uh, uh, putting on the makeup were wearing masks and I don't see their faces. Okay, and they were having full conversations with me. So, but I did record with my, my, I have a video of it of him putting on the uh, ears, and oh. they also they also do um, they adjust your eyebrows. Mm-hmm. They 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 do something with the eyebrows. So that was fantastic, and you know there was a little uh, figure of of Leonard Nimoy as Spock kind of sitting in the in the makeup trailer, watching down on us doing it. So that was surreal. I mean, to get to the set. You, you basically are holding because they didn't want to walk us back and forth mm. was the transporter room. Oh. So yeah. we're sitting in the transporter room <laughs> in these, you know, actor chairs and it's me, Elora, Gia, um, Mia, Mia Kirshner, and, and Ethan Peck. Now I have to say this, you're, you're getting me into the flow of things. So Mia, I had met, oh, I'd say 20 years earlier in Vancouver when she was doing um, the L word mm. and uh, we had a common friend from uh, UCLA, a girl who'd gone to UCLA and we were in Vancouver at the same time. And we all kind of got together for like a lunch and I had met her then. And she would, she'd Vegas like, Oh, I remember that. So we had met years earlier. Uh, so it was good to see her and we kind of reconnected and the small, small world is I didn't realize that Ethan Peck was Gregory Peck's grandson until I Googled it. And when I got to the set, I told him, I said, this is a really small world. I said, and I know exactly when it was. I said, in late 1999, I met Gregory Peck um, outside the downtown library in Los Angeles because I was producing a pitch uh, reel, if you guys are X-Files fans, with my friend, Dean Hagland, one of the lone gunmen. Oh, yeah. We were going to sell a show about the fear of Y2K. So we were filming something downtown and, and through our camera, we see there's a couple having lunch on the, you know, out outdoors. And as I'm kind of zooming, I realize it's Gregory. <laughs> right. So I go, this is crazy. And I have it on camera somewhere. So I go over to him and we speak to him for a couple of minutes and probably my mother's favorite actor of all time, Gregory Peck. Right. <laughs> so I said, I just have to meet you. And he's like, pleasure to meet you. He's with his wife. And when I told this to Ethan, he's like, yeah, he goes, my grandfather used to read uh, publicly at the library downtown. He goes, I was probably there. I was there for many of these events. So we, we hit it off on that. And we, and we talked a lot about that. And he had a lot of friends that I knew in LA from acting school and all that. So it was a good kind of hang 
on the transporter deck between, <laughs> uh, you know, filling these scenes. And we're in these very restrictive um, costumes, as you can see. Uh, and uh, and the, 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 the walk between the waiting area to where we would film in Pike's quarters was about a three-minute walk. And then we would have to put on a face guard mask to not in, infect anybody while walking through mm. and then remove it again and act. So even though we were kind of acting with each other, we could not have that up all the time and kind of hang out, you know, those couple of days we were filming and uh, it got very late and we kind of got loopy as I think Allura told you, we were kind of, we were, <laughs> we were losing it. And um, yeah. And also um, Anson uh, it, near the end, uh, he was kind of isolated from us for some reason. And then we chatted a lot at the end. And he was a cool guy as well. But um, it was not like filming most shows because of this, the the, the protocol of, mm. of COVID at the time. Mm -hmm. Man. So both you and Elora were tasked with embodying a lot of classic sitcom in-law tropes mm -hmm. through that, that Vulcan filter. And the chemistry between you two is really what sells a lot of that. Were you... You had mentioned it a little bit, but were you consciously thinking about that in regards to your performance, or would you say most of it was there in the script and just ready to go? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in the script, and also it was in the um, she was so strong as that character. Do you follow what I'm saying? And to me, to try to do anything as strong as that, it would not have worked as well. The kind of the the disparity, the juxtaposition. So uh, I just hung back and and said the lines as they as they as they were written, and um, sometimes I would give a reaction, sometimes I wouldn't give a reaction. And the editor is also a part of this. They decide, or the director and the editor decide what to include, or the producer of what which takes to use. Um, so it's it's really a collaborative effort. If, and I'm sure people tell you, but it's it's a collaborative effort. And I did have to decide, as you know, I do so much voiceover. I had to decide to do what kind of voice am I going to do for this guy, right? Mm -hmm. Am I going to do the flat uh, Spock voice? Am I going to do that? And it just didn't seem, for lack of a term, as expressive mm -hmm. if I did that. It would have just been a lot of, yes, yes, everybody would have been talking this way, you know? So I decided to kind of go with that mid-Atlantic, kind of the 60s style. I, by the way, I definitely research this i when i got this i dove in i watched a mock time i'm aware <laughs> of the timeline of what happens later all this kind of stuff <laughs> so um i was really pleased with the way it turned out i mean it was very it was very funny and i and i joked with uh you know we do have a vulcan family uh, group chat it's not elora mentioned it. it's not her family it's the vulcan family it's myself elora and gia we have the vulcan family mm -hmm. chat and uh, I said, I think I think uh, the time is right for uh, the spinoff. Meet the Vulcans. I think that <laughs> that, that uh, I mean, listen, it's not crazy. It's not crazy. Um, and uh, and I really enjoyed watching it. Just kind of the analogy of intercultural marriage, mm -hmm. whether it is a culture, a religion, uh, a country, which is people are well. How oh, you got to know how to do this for my parents? You have to figure this out. You have to do that. You know, and uh, and I've seen it myself in my own family, and I've seen it in, in other people's families, and uh, they—it's just a great analogy. And 
I was going for a walk yesterday with a friend in Los Angeles who, so my child was a huge Star Trek fan and, and he met uh, Leonard Nimoy and told him how much of someone he was of a uh, mixed race that he felt that that someone who was mixed race was the first time he'd seen it hmm. as Spock was half human, half Vulcan. And uh, Leonard Nimoy told him, uh, I've never heard that before. I've heard of a lot of other things, but he'd never heard the specific, you're, you're showing me as a mixed race person. And this episode showed it more than ever, I think. Mm -hmm. which, and I think that that is a big part of why this episode succeeds so much. Agreed. And... I mean, another big part of it, of course, as you mentioned, is the Tapring Tapril Savet family. And to that end, we actually do have a question for you from Elora. What? Yep, there we go. Okay, well, I'll give a general one for everyone. What was their favorite um, part of working together? Um, mm. The the Tapring family. Okay, mm -hmm. the mains get plenty of attention. We don't need to mention <laughs> them. We'll, we'll talk about just us. We love them, but you know. Um, um, like what was, um, their favorite moment to play, I guess, in the, in the episode? This is great because I just rewatched the episode so I can say this with some <laughs> specificity. My favorite moment was a uh, not scripted, which I just, I just saw it again now, which was, uh, where, um, Elora says something and I kind of nod agreeingly <laughs> what was it where she's like she says a good a good vulcan knows how to hold their uh oh, resilient yeah. bladder. bladder i can't believe bladder. i didn't ask Alora about that line and uh. and i and i kind of get that's right i give this kind of like, that's right and i'm like that's great that that even happened so naturally so i mean everything she did was was so great and kind of the because you do it so many times on the set you don't know how they're going to intercut it mm -hmm. right but which is the, I think these are delicious treats. And then she's like, I don't think so. I'm like, me neither. You know, that, that, whole, that whole thing is, it's just so well put together. It's her performance. It's the cutting, everything. So, and by the way, I, I'm, and I'm, when I'm watching it again, like, like Pike's micro expressions, mm, like, he's oh, like his man. eyebrows and this and that, like, it's hilarious. And yeah, when we got to the, the charades and he said, he said, sounds like, what did, did we do the sounds like, or he says two syllables? Yeah, two syllables, sounds okay. like. And, right. Yeah. So I think we, it was really late when we got to this. And then I don't know if you know, they do like the reverses on me later, like they do different angles. So it's hours later. Mm -hmm. right? So then I was like, I think I really wanted to pull my ear. But then I, but they were like, no, that might fall off or whatever. So, um, but I do want to say this right now for anybody putting conventions. I mean, it's a no brainer play charades with the cast of the episode of charades yes. at your convention. Come on guys, let's do it. So, you know, so, uh, you know, everything I did with Laura was great. And Gia, she's just a lot of scenes just with, with, uh, Spock. Mm -hmm. So we didn't see those while they were filming it. And when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, she's so, so good. So good. You and, and Anson Mount both, I think, ended up in like a similar space with, we're going to do a lot of this through micro expressions and just, you know, like reactions. And yeah, that and uh, how many syllables did this human use? I was just <laughs> right, like, yeah, right, like right. this is as funny <laughs> as you get in a Star Trek, right? Like, For sure. I, 
I yeah. love that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get another caller question in here, John. This is our very good friend and excellent supporter and caller, Abby. Hey, hey, Open Pike and Michael. This is Abby Summer from the First Flight Podcast. First of all, I love that you guys are doing this little mini arc of people who worked on charades because what a brilliant episode it has rapidly risen in the ranks of my favorites to watch when I just need something fun and comforting. It has a little heart behind it. So, Michael, I wanted to ask you, and something that I asked your space wife when she was on previously, is could you please talk a little bit about the costuming in this episode and how it helped you find the character and how it helped you feel that Vulcanness? And you also had some incredibly good face acting in this. The changes <laughs> from one opinion to another, depending on who you were talking to. Can you talk a little bit about that? So thank you all for all of your wonderful work, and I hope that we all talk soon and that you're well. Bye. Thank you. That was a great question. Questions. Uh, I think we've already touched on the um, the facial expressions where I would give variations of it when we did it, like bigger, Mm. smaller, less, nothing. Um, And it, it is interesting that she brings up the costumes, as I mentioned earlier, they were very constricting, the the outfits. I could not eat in that outfit. I wouldn't <laughs> even dare to because you don't want to you don't want to get it dirty or whatever. Um, but it definitely improved my posture. And uh uh it I entered it through the back, if that makes any sense, and then they would mm. zip it up behind me. And I also had boots, certain like uh, kind of you know, very kind of I you know, Gene Simmons type boots. <laughs> so um that was good and uh it's like wearing a sh- a jacket backwards does that make any sense mm-hmm. you know, like wearing a jacket backwards so um you definitely don't feel like you're wearing your regular clothes if that makes any sense you know <laughs> and when you're standing on the starship enterprise <sighs> you are aware that you're not just in uh Vancouver or Kansas anymore you know so it definitely all of it being there helps to create the reality that this is happening. Do they when you're come on for a day or two of acting and yeah. you don't have any scenes on the bridge, do they still let you go on the bridge and sit in the captain's chair? Oh yeah, I flew that vessel okay. to like yeah, Uranus. <laughs> um no, um you know, I had it I, I walked around, I videotaped it, I um I, I recorded it and I walked all around. I went to the different sets. I wanted to see it. Oh, good. And I'm trying to think, is it close to where we did The Expanse? No, it was a different different city. Because um, hmm. on The Expanse as well, I would go to see the different sets and all that. And that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And we are going to follow that up with another question from a caller. This time is our good friend, Captain Idol from Trek Time. Hello, Captain Idol from Trek Time here. Just a quick question for my favourite Vulcan father figure of 2023. In the scene with Captain Pike, Savette seemed incredibly interested in the delicacies that he had Mm. been served. If the matriarchal might of T'Pring's mother had not been looming over them, do you think Savette and Pike would have had a good evening drinking Tranya, eating canopies, and what do you think they would have talked about till the wee hours of the night? Thank you. (laughs) Wow, that's a a good voice, first of all, whoever Mm. that person Mm -hmm. is. Yeah, Um, And, um... I want to uh, answer his question, but I also want to talk about the food that I actually ate. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I will, I will mention that after this. Okay. So it's funny. I re-watched the episode and something I didn't pick up when I first watched it because I was too nervous about my performance coming up was 
my character was friends with Spock's father, mm-hmm. correct? Which mm-hmm. is why I'm kind of rooting for this relationship to work. I think that had um, Savet and Pike, you know, hung out together, I would be probably, my character would be more friendly and kind of talk about the culture, the, the Vulcan culture, as opposed to human culture. And I would probably regale him with tales of Spock's father. And very much like my own father uh, talking about, you know, his upbringing, telling people, you know, I just kind of like that, I think. Yeah, there was a bit of my father in uh, in Savet when I think about it, actually. And we actually have a question specifically from a caller about that food that you got right. to eat. Okay. So we'll cue that up right here. This is our friend and patron, Elizabeth. This is Elizabeth, longtime listener, first time caller on Open Pike, and very excited about the Vulcan family interviews that we're getting. I can't wait to hear about Michael Benier's career and stories and what it was like on set. On that note, did anyone actually get to play charades? How was the food? It sounded crunchy, tantalizing, but was it actually that salty? We had (laughs) such a fun time watching Savet, who is essentially the Vulcan version of a Golden Retriever personality, contrasted (laughs) with the very typically stoic other Vulcans in the room, which made it really fun to kind of apply that and read more background context into T'Pring's character and how much like her mother she can be and uptight about life and keeping things straight, but has that kindness and openness and willing to go with along with a certain level of hijinks. Wonderful right. question. She sounds like a nice person. <laughs> she really is. How was the food? I think we were all wondering. I'm trying to remember what fr- there was a fruit portion and there was a kind of a curly cue. <laughs> I want to say um, like a Dorito which was basically, but it was like slightly soggy Dorito texture. (laughs) So I didn't know until I got there if I was going to be eating something or whatever, Mm. you know, and I didn't know what it was going to be because in the script it said something and then, and then I got there. So it was basically like, I want to say like a kumquat or like kind of like a round, like a fruit that wasn't a common North American fruit with a, with like a, a pick in it and this curly cue of a slightly soggy Dorito chip, <laughs> like curly cue Dorito chip. So I was like, do I eat a bit of it? Do I put the whole thing in my mouth? And there really was no time to get into the, you know, minutiae of it. So we did it and then I did it. And then I actually had a full mouth before I had my line. Like I couldn't <laughs> eat that. Like, and uh, people were talking, right? So then I'm like making eating sounds and I'm trying not to like eat, make eating sounds over their lines because everybody, you know. So it was kind of a, a trial by fire on that. And I, when I watched it again, I was like, I think they amplified the crunch sound of what I did, but I think it was like a hybrid of what it was and what it wasn't. And it wasn't delicious. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't delicious, but um, I did have to chew it and swallow it to get to my lines. So I did that. And uh, 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 that's regarding the food, the actual food that it was. How many takes did you have to do? How many times did you have to eat it? I want to say six. I want to say six. Uh, I'm completely wrong. I'm sure someone knows out there. They're gonna, there's someone, the book is going to come out. It was not six. It was whatever. So, um, but it was, 
definitely uh, real. You saw a real eating. You saw somebody really eating something and trying to be polite about it. So that was <laughs> that was uh, real. And then, yeah, I've got to say, like, yours and Pike's relationship, I was so yeah. invested in. It's a spinoff show again, once again. Okay, 100%. I mean, come on. And I was so disappointed that you guys never got to play charades together. Was there any charades behind the I, scenes you that anyone what? play? I thought that I felt like, why wouldn't we pay, play charades? Right. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Is it just too much? Is, is it, it just too funny? Like, for the show? Like, is it because <laughs> they had that whole comedy bit with him and the and the other crew members like impersonating uh, him and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would have been hilarious, but I guess it just leaves something for us to do in person. Like I said, at all the conventions. That's right. Um, there was no charades playing. Once again, we couldn't step six feet uh, closer funny. to each other. Oh, geez. Yeah. So you had mentioned that you were fully aware of the whole situation with, to Pring and Spock as well yes. as Sarek, that sort yes. of a thing. Was there any other backstory that you kind of built out for your character internally involving Sarek or, you know, how maybe how Savet feels about humans and maybe Sarek is part of that interest in humans with the human wife? I think it was all in the script, like you're saying, which is why would this guy kind of like a puppy, like you're saying, go on his own <laughs> and then be reined in by this wife. So that obviously he's a curious person. He is uh, a friendly person. And, oh, by the way, sorry to, to stop this question, which is the hair. Okay. So when I get cast <laughs> in the role, I'm like, am I going to get the Spock hair? Mm-hmm. Right. Because, and then I Googled, are there bald Vulcans? Okay. And of course there were a couple of bald Vulcans. Okay. But I was like, maybe they're going to give me the hair still, you know? And when I got there, they said, uh, there was discussion. We're just going to leave it as you, right? I'm like, okay, mm. which is kind of better for my career, which is people will recognize me, et cetera. But I, I was kind of secretly hoping for the, for the Spock haircut. <laughs> that sounds like uh, a sentiment that Elora agrees with. She was like, <laughs> why were there no bowl cuts? That's like, right. Right, right. But she, she said that they tried out different haircuts on her. So, mm-hmm. I mean, nobody even showed me the bowl cut on, on my, <laughs> listen, I've, I have been aware of Spock's, you know, backstory for, I don't know, 40 years. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I even remember I have the, the flyer for going to search for Spock. I went to see that as a teenager. Somebody invited me. I have the, I have the one page that, you know, I went a preview screening of it. So, and as a kid, as an actor, I always felt that that was a role I could somewhat realistically play like someone wouldn't say to me you can't play spock like i guess you could be spock and here i am i'm playing a like a a vulcan type creature so i wasn't wrong um but um i did the research that was required of the episode which is i went to see if my character appeared in a mock time Mm -hmm. Ah. so does he appear there is some kind of guy that could be him doesn't really say anything but her mother character is definitely there uh and i'm aware of the original timeline which is they don't end up getting married so this takes place before that mock time episode who -hmm. knows if there will be more storyline including us up until that happens they've got a few years to go here i don't know 
and someone's brought up the fact that maybe they'll redo a mock time with Gia and him and maybe they'll include us. I don't know. But I I definitely did my due diligence, <laughs> as they say in the law, um, about trying to understand Savet as much as possible. And they did they gave a lot of information of the of the kind of the cultural things that they were doing in the episode. There was a lot in it. How'd they describe the character in the the casting? They said, we're looking for a Michael Benyer type. Oh, my God, we got Michael Benyer. (laughs) How fortuitous. Yeah. um, I'm sorry, I don't recall. Because they didn't, they wouldn't say Vulcan. They didn't say that. They're like, this guy is this, but this, but this, you know. I recently auditioned for a show. And they said, this guy's almost Vulcan-like. And I said to my agent, hello. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't book, I didn't get it. But I was like, hello. Um, but, uh, sorry, your question was, what was that? Oh, I was just going to say, if there is anything that we as fans can do to help get more to Prill and more Savet into Strange New Worlds, please let us know because we are at your service. Yes. Absolutely. Likewise. Likewise. <laughs> it was great fun. And, you know, what's better than doing an episode of Star Trek? Two episodes of Star Trek. Hey. Or, or yeah. other episodes of Star Trek. So, I mean... I'm glad that I held out. Like I said, I didn't do the uh, alien guy and whatever. No, yeah. So are we. Cameron, did you want to close this section out? Yeah, well, I mean, you've done a lot leading up to this. A lot of franchises we've talked about that you've been in. You've been in a Star Wars video game, even. Uh, Yes. What's left on your bucket list? I mean, uh, working with Spielberg, you said. Any any other things you have your sights on? The whole whole dream was to do a sitcom. To do a series regular on a sitcom. Ah. And uh, I've done a couple of pilots. I've gotten closer on other things. And I, you know, I want to do a show that goes for several years so that it's, you know, something that I am proud of. Are you actively seeking out Star Wars shows? Star Wars? Um, I did the voice of Kanan Jarrus, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, Freddie Prinze does it in the Star Wars uh, Rebels show. Mm-hmm. So when they did the uh, Lego Star Wars, I voice I basically voice match what he was doing there. Um, so I've done that, and I've done the video game, and I've told the anecdote before, which is really funny. Which is, I get the email from my voice agent, and it's called the Old Republic, and I write back, "Is this Star Wars?" And he goes, <laughs> and he writes back, "Yes, it is." I'm like, "Holy moly!" So I get to the studio in Burbank and there's two engineers there and it's kind of an older studio and they give me about 400 pages like this. And I look down at it and it's gibberish, like (laughs) literally gibberish. And I look at it and I look at it and I go, this is a joke, right? And they go, no. And I go, but this is gibberish. And and they said, well, you auditioned for it. And I, I did. And I guess months earlier, I, and I didn't know because everything has got top secret names. Mm-hmm. So they played me this reference of what I had done, which was whatever it is. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. So I go into the studio and they go, okay, so we're going to play you uh, the proper pronunciation. Then we'd like you to do one like that. And then one of your own interpretation. And I'm like, okay. So they play me. Okay. And then I go, and then I go, 
or whatever it is, okay? And I do this for about, I don't know, five minutes, and I get to the bottom of one page, and then I just start laughing hysterically. And they're like, is everything okay? I go, look, man, I go, I, I just got to say, guys. They go, what? I go, there are five reasons I, I'm laughing right now, okay? And they go, okay, what are the reasons? I go, number one, that I'm that that that, that someone wrote this, right? <laughs> this language, okay? And they go, okay. I go, number two, that someone recorded the proper pronunciation <laughs> of this, okay? Number three, that um, <laughs> that I'm doing this, okay? <laughs> that I'm repeating that. And number four, if my father could see how I'm making a living, right? <laughs> and they're like, okay. And, I, and then, so, and then we do it. I said, listen, do me a favor. I said, can we just drop the, uh, you know, the proper pronunciation, the guide track, because this is not a real language. No one is going to call in and say, you're not pronouncing it right. And, and, I, and they're like, okay. So I just, I think I'm going to now burn through this. I'm, I'm losing like a third of the time, right? So I'm going through these lines, da, 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 da. And it's, I'd say, I, I, I've lost track of time. I'd say, and it, I'm going into like, you know, like a yogic state. Like, you know, you're kind of like <laughs> yep. high yep. from yoga. I'm like, and I'm like, because I'm not speaking English. I'm speaking these like made up words. So probably three hours goes by and I'm finished. They're like, great, thank you. And I, and I go, they go, no, no, no. No, no, no. There's another language. And they bring me another stuff. <laughs> and it's a different language that I also book. And it's like, it, they were like more like Swedish sounding. Whatever it was. And I was like, oh my God. So then I had to do that again. And so that is literally a true story. So if you play the old Republic and you get Man. to these planets, that is me speaking as these characters. That's amazing. <laughs> that's, that's interesting though, because I would have figured they just, for something like that, you know, say, okay, start making sounds, but they actually like phonetically broke it all down. That's, that's impressive. Well, it's because I, you know, growing up, I went to Klingon school, so I had a basis uh, in right. it, you know, no, um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Uh, it's been fun doing all these shows and I, I hope that I, that they'll allow me to be in Star Trek and Star Wars. Is that allowed? Is that oh, allowed? Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure I think George so. Takei, yeah. Yeah. Christina Chong was yeah. was in yeah. okay. uh, Force Awakens, but I think she okay. got she ended up getting cut. But yeah, I could see yeah. you in Andor. I'd I'd love to see Dude, you in Andor. Yeah. Right. That would be awesome. They just wrapped filming, so it'll have to be season, season three. three. But, yeah, but sure. Yeah. yeah, unless Michael's not telling us something. Oh, <laughs> well, well, how good of an actor am I? Oh, they, there's a show. <laughs> what? And or okay. and or isn't that isn't that a Star Trek alien? I don't right, know. right. I will have to say. Michael Benier, Open Pike Night is an Open Mic Night themed podcast, and have you prepared a joke for us today? Yes, I have. All right. This is in keeping with the theme of the show, which is Star Trek. How many ears does Spock have? How many ears does Spock have? Three. Right ear, left ear, and... The final frontier. I love it. Absolute there Trek it is. classic. It is. I can't believe <laughs> we haven't gotten that yet. Yeah. One of the few, yeah, it's one of the few Trek jokes we've actually gotten. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Usually we get like, well, I brought a dirty joke and I brought a clean joke <laughs> or like, here's a 40 second setup for a punchline. And it's, I mean, it, it seems like the Star Trek joke would be the easy win, right? right. Like, it's only logical. That's right. Exactly. 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 I love it. <laughs>
Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time yeah, thanks, tonight. Thanks, guys. We have Absolutely. been just waiting to have an opportunity to extol the virtues of charades. And to have you and Alora come and sit with us back to back is an absolute treat for us. And we really hope and we know that it will be an absolute treat for the fans. So thank you so much. Thank you. And live long and prosper. Hey. By the way, you can add this in. You can add this in. I was really practicing it. And they never had us do it on camera. Oh, Aww. that's true. I yeah, it's like you would think that'd be the first thing they'd have you do on camera. And I and I, as you guys know, the amok time was the first time that uh, Leonard Nimoy introduced the the Vulcan salute. I mean, how how cool would it have been to walk into Pike's quarters, just be like starting it, and then just right to the snacks. You know, just, <laughs> just like ah, yeah. I. It's funny. I think I actually offered or suggested it that when we walk in, if we do it, and they're like, "No, don't, don't do it." But, <laughs> but um, it wasn't necessary. It was about her kind of, you know, empress entrance. Uh, yes, yeah, that's true. Well, that was a great conversation with Michael Benier. Continuing on our open pike night charades coverage extravaganza marathon. What are we calling this? <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. All right. You guys, yeah. it's a charades parade. Oh, oh there it is. Yep. There yep. it is. That's why we pay Jesse the big bucks. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And up next on our charades parade, uh, if you're a subscriber to our newsletter, you will have already seen we have a call out to send in questions for charades director. Jordan Canning. Uh, we talked with her for a few minutes during a junket, what, about a year ago? Yeah, it was just before yeah, the just episode now. aired, so yeah. Yeah, nine months. Yeah. Eight months, eight, eight months, nine yeah. months. Yeah, so it'll be good to spend some time with her. Quality Guys, uh, she worked on the new Fraggle Rock? Like, I'm excited to oh. talk to Jordan Canning. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a, a fun interview. Like, I, we hope you've enjoyed these Alora and Michael interviews. Jordan's getting to be super fun. And hopefully yeah. we'll get G on soon. I, I hope we can make that happen. Maybe maybe she's busy filming Strange New Worlds right now. Who knows? Fingers crossed, man. We'll, we'll make, make it out. happen. We'll make every effort. Absolutely. Jesse, how can folks sign up for that newsletter? The easiest way to sign up for the newsletter is to go directly there, which of course is openpike.substack.com. That will send you the calls to action directly to your email, absolutely free. We don't monetize on Substack, even though they keep pushing us to do that. Uh, <laughs> but that's the easiest way to know who is coming on the show, when and how you can get your questions answered. Of course, you can also just go to openpike.com to find links to everything that there is to find for Open Pike Night, including hashtag Mortegas merch. If you are lucky enough to have been on the Star Trek cruise, you may have run into our good friend Engineer Mark, who would have just handed you a Mortegas magnet for free. But if you're not, you can still go get Mortegas merch at our shop for not very much money. It's, it's pretty reasonably priced, I think. Absolutely. And for those of you just returning to shore from that cruise, we hope you had a great time. Sounds like it was fantastic. And uh, man, maybe uh, maybe next year we'll be able to get on that. That'd be pretty fun. Toot toot. I am <laughs> really jealous of everybody who got to oh, see yeah. the in-person oh. reading of the Spock's brain script. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. Incredibly yeah. jealous. <laughs> Cameron. Yes. 
When you're not on the open Pike Night stage, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me over at Green Shirt, a newbie strike through TNG, where uh, we are starting in on season seven of TNG, season finishing seven. up that while also, uh, you know, circling the promenade of season two on Deep Space Nine as well, and little mini sode. So come check us out over there, Green Shirt, a newbie strike through TNG, wherever you're listening to this. And uh, we do DS9 in nine minutes. How about giving us nine seconds on the beginning of season two? How are you feeling? Uh, so good. Uh, safe to say, much better than the beginning of season seven for TNG. <laughs> <laughs> that is entirely fair. Jesse, where could folks find you? You can find me surfing the waves of the social media ocean at Open Pike. That's good on Twitter. That's good on Blue Sky, Instagram. I think there's a couple others. That's also our username on YouTube. We're working on bringing that up to date. But yeah, basically any social media that you can think of, just find at Open Pike. They're not all equally updated, but they are all equally monitored. So if you need to get a hold of us in a, you know, a DM or something before you make a call, just search at Open Pike. Yep. And... You know, when we're not here recording, we're out trying to find as many voice credits as we can because Michael Benier has us beat hands down. So <laughs> be sure to clean up after yourselves. Be sure to tip your servers. You can go anywhere you want, but you can't stay here. Reboot! <laughs>